As we come now uh, to the Lord's Word, we're going to pray one more time. Uh, I've heard it said, someone made a comment before, man, you guys pray a lot. Amen. Uh, we, we do, and I love that. Uh, so let's pray as we come to the Word this morning. Lord Jesus, uh, would you come and move? As we talked about last week, God, we wait with expectation for you to meet with us today. We need your power. We need your presence. We need your life transformation. Would you move in us this morning? God, use your word. Bring it to life in our midst. Uh, Lord, as I share, uh, may you just, may you spark things in each of us. Uh, May you just speak clearly and may we obey. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, um, we started talking about the values that we have as a church. Our vision, the reason that we exist, is to see every person, what? Who knows it? Yell it out. (laughs) Steals my thunder. We exist to see every person involved in kingdom life. All right? You're going to keep hearing it because, as we talked about last week, when we say as a church, this is why we exist, are we talking about the organization of the Alliance Church? No. We're talking about as individuals, this is what we believe God has called us to. This is why we gather together, is to see every person involved in kingdom life. And the values that we have, the things that we think are going to help us get there, you can see them right up there, divine expectation and engagement. We started last week. We're going to continue this week talking about that. Practical discipleship, having an outward focus and becoming a family on mission. We're going to break these things down over the next couple of weeks because we believe truly if we can catch these, if we can begin to value, prioritize these things, that we will see the kingdom advance in our own lives, and in the lives of those that God has placed around us. So let's continue on with this. Uh, Last week, we started talking about that first value, divine expectation and engagement. And and here was the definition that we have for that, that we want to become a people motivated by and hungry for the presence of God and partnership with Him in transformation. So last week, we really focused on the first half, divine expectation, to be motivated and hungry for the presence of God. That that is what drives us. That is why we come together. That is the first thing we're looking forward to in the morning and the thing we're thanking him for at night when we lay our head on the pillow. That it becomes the most valuable thing in each and every one of our lives. The presence of God. We're motivated by it and we're hungry for it. A lot of times in Scripture, you'll read, especially in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, uh, there is a phrase that's, that they waited on the Lord, or wait on the Lord. This is constantly used, and w- this is what they're talking about, is this idea of divine expectation, to wait on the Lord. It doesn't mean wait like you got there first, He's running a little slower than you are, and you've got to let God catch up. It's not that kind of wait. It's waiting with expectation. What is the Lord going to do? How is the Lord going to move? And it's this kind of thing where like, I'm, I'm hungry for it. I can't wait for him to show up. I am waiting expectantly on the Lord. This is the kind of stance that we're supposed to have every day. Not just on Sundays, not just Sunday mornings, but each and every day. Man, Lord, what are you going to do today? How are you going to move today? And we're expectant 
Make sense? Okay, a quick recap. This week what we're going to look at is the second part, the engagement with the Lord. You can see it right there, partnership with Him in transformation. We as a people have to learn to engage with the presence of the Lord. Not just pray, hey God, show up because I get some butterflies in my stomach when you do, because it's a, it's a cool show to watch because it makes me feel good when you show up. But that when the presence of the Lord shows up, we know how to engage with Him in that. We must learn to engage with the presence of the Lord. Why? Because God's message has always been a message of engagement. God has always been calling His people to engage with Him in what He's doing. God doesn't make His presence known for no reason. You guys remember last week we talked about the idea of manifest presence versus God's omnipresence, right? God is always present everywhere all the time. That is true. But there are certain times when He makes His presence known. Where you can feel like, man, God is in this place. I'm praying and it feels like God is right there hearing my prayers and, and we're having this interaction. Like I'm reading the scripture and it comes to life. I'm at work and this door of opportunity opened and God's presence was just with me. Like there's this manifest presence of God. He doesn't make himself known for no reason. He makes himself known so that we can engage with him. From the very beginning, that's always been the way that God works. He shows up and he invites people in. God is always asking us to engage in partnership and in transformation. I, I preached a message about six weeks ago uh, on, on being kingdom partners. This idea that like, it's, we're not spectators. Christianity is not a spectator sport. Uh, far too often, the message of definitely the church in the West is that your job as a Christian is really to show up on Sunday mornings, give some money, sing some songs, and sit quietly while somebody talks. If you do that, you've, kind of, you've passed the low bar. You've done everything expected of you. Anything beyond that is kind of bonus. That's how uh, Christianity is often presented, but when we look in Scripture, that's not what we find. We're told that we are to be partnering with the King Sunday through Saturday. He is on mission, and we're to partner with Him. We looked at a couple passages we're just going to touch on because I already preached on them a couple weeks ago. But Ephesians 2.10 comes right off of Ephesians 2.8 and 9, which a lot of people know, for it is by grace you have been saved by faith. This is not of yourself, but is it a gift of God? We love that passage. But then he goes on to say this, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He is calling us to partner with Him. He didn't just save us so that we could sit comfortably in a church service on Sunday morning. He brought us to life so that we could partner with Him in the mission that He is doing. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself, but it is a gift of God, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which He prepared in advance for us to do. Saved for partnership with Him. 1 Corinthians 3.9, here's how Paul viewed his life. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. God viewed everything he did as I am going to work with my father. I am God's co-worker. It's not that God like, saved me and said, cool, and patted me on the head and sat me on the sidelines. Now he goes and does everything for me. 
It's not that he hands me my marching orders and he stays at the HQ while I go out and do the work. But Paul said, in everything I do, I am a fellow worker with God. We're in this together. We have partnered together to do the work that he has called me to do. Jesus, as he was going about teaching, was constantly telling people, come follow me. Constantly inviting people in. And we know, we've already looked at, again, a couple weeks back, that Jesus wasn't just saying, come be in proximity to me. Follow me like, yeah, yeah, just walk from city to city where I walk and watch the show. But he was telling people, come in, live like I live. Be about what I'm about. Anytime that there was those that were following just to see the show or just because it was the right thing to do, if you remember from a couple weeks ago, he would turn and he would, he would teach these really hard lessons. And every time the people would go, whoa, too much. And they would bail except for those that were truly partnering with him. Jesus was constantly inviting people in to kingdom partnership, to engage in what God was doing. And you don't get more present than Jesus walking around on the earth, constantly saying, come and be with me and do what I do. Partner with me. God is about partnership and transformation. This transformation, again, one of the messages that Jesus would teach when he would go around, he would always say, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Repentance is a transformational word. Repentance literally means change the way you think. It's a change of direction. I was headed this way, and Jesus would say, repent, turn 180 degrees and follow me. He was constantly calling people to transformation. Repent, the kingdom is at hand. Again, we talked about it a little bit just a second ago. He would say, come, follow me. And it makes me think of this passage out of 2 Corinthians where where Paul talks about. He says, now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We'll, We'll look at a couple pieces of what this means. But Jesus was telling people, come follow me. Still to this day, come follow me. I think of Revelation 3.20, where he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone answers, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Inviting us in so that we can be transformed because he knows that when we truly follow him, when we move from death to life and walk with the king, his spirit is present. And where his spirit is, transformation is. The Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The whole thing, we with unveiled faces, just very quickly, if you read earlier, uh, just a couple verses before that, Paul is talking about when Moses would go uh, into the, the tabernacle of the Lord and where the Lord's presence was, he would come out and his face was legitimately shining like a light bulb. And the people would ask him to put a veil on it, freaked him out. We can't handle it, it's too much, Moses. So he'd put a veil on. And now he's saying, look, in Christ, the veil is removed. We are called directly into the presence of God, and we're called to reflect the presence of God right back on the people. We who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory, we're being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Some passages say from glory to glory. Each and every day, every month, every year, 
because I am engaging in the presence of God, I look more like Jesus in ever-increasing glory. Another thing that Jesus taught, we're, we're going to look at the Great Commission where Jesus says, go, sends us out on mission, but he says, but I'll be with you. It's this idea of both partnership and bringing transformation. He marries them together. Let's look at this, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says go, but again, not in some general sending out marching orders, go, and then come back and report maybe. He says go. I'm already moving in the world, go, and I'm going to be with you, and we're going to bring transformation to the world. We're going to make new disciples. We're going to baptize them, bring them from death to life. We're going to teach them to grow in who I'm calling them to be, to transform, and I'm going to be with you every step of the way. We have to wait expectantly on the presence of God, and when He shows up, we are to engage with Him. So let's talk a little bit about what happens if we don't. We have to learn to engage the presence of God because when we don't, His presence is removed. That, that manifest, that tangible presence of God is removed. Now, I'm going to put a little caveat on this. I don't have scripture passages that go, when you don't wait on the presence of God, he removes his presence. This is anecdotal. This is from my own life. This is as I talk to other people. So some things we read in scripture and we hold them closed fist, right? Like, I'm convinced this is it. This is one of those things, hold open-handed. This is simply from my experience and from the experience of others, the more believers I talk to, when we don't engage with the presence of God, he removes it. Now, I'm not talking about he removes salvation. That, please don't hear that. You make a mistake, God takes his salvation away. That is not what I'm teaching. But the blessing of his presence, where you know that he is with you, can be removed when we don't engage with him. I have a good friend named Dave uh, who told me a story one time that illustrated this really well. Uh, he was going through a dry time. I talked last week about some dry times that I have had where it felt like the prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. He would read the word and it just wasn't like coming to life. He was trying to do the right things, but it just it, the Lord's presence wasn't with him. And so he took a day one day and said, I'm going to go off into the mountains. He lives in Colorado. They have different mountains there. But I'm going to go off into the mountains and spend a day just seeking the Lord. Lord, Lord, what, is there something wrong? Is there something that I've done that, that has caused this? Or is this just one of those times when, when you're calling me to keep going forward even though it hurts? Like, he was trying to discern that. And so he spent this whole day out there. And he's a journaler, so he had all these different journal pages on is it this, is it that, that he's bringing to the Lord. And, and finally, the Lord spoke to him. And he was saying, he was going, Lord, why? Like, where, where have you been? What is going on? Is there something that I've done? Is there something that I haven't done? And the Lord spoke a very simple thing to him. He said, what was the last thing I told you to do? And he stopped and he thought for a minute. And it was a couple months before when the Lord had kind of clearly placed something on his heart. And he said, oh, it, it was this. 
Now, Lord, I, I didn't do it because of this, because of this, because of this. I'm sorry, you know. And the Lord said, how about you go do that? Then we'll talk. He had refused to engage. The Lord had given him a clear direction, a clear instruction. He said no for whatever reason. It was hard. It was inconvenient. It was whatever it was. He said no. And the Lord said, okay, have it your way. And when he came back seeking the Lord, and the Lord brought that to his heart, it wasn't simply, ooh, right, sorry, Lord. The Lord said, you don't just get off the hook like that. Go do the last thing I, I told you to do, then we'll talk. And his story, again, this, I don't have a scripture passage that lines this all out, but his story was he went and did that, and the next time like he, he came and prayed to the Lord directly following, and the Lord's presence was restored to him. We cannot walk in disobedience. We can't do it our own way and have the blessing of the Lord's presence with us. It doesn't work like that. Our disobedience can sever that tie, often does sever that tie. When we refuse to engage, he removes his presence. I've experienced it in my own life. Maybe some of you have as well. It hurts. It's a dangerous time for us as believers and the first place that I go now, not that it's always the case, but it can often be, Lord, is there, is there something where you called me to do it and I didn't step in? Was there a time that you showed up and I ignored your presence? If so, I'm sorry, Lord. Lead me in this. And if there's something there, he does. So how do we begin to engage with the Lord's presence? When the Lord shows up, how do we engage with him? There's three areas that we're going to look at. Personal engagement, corporate engagement, and missional engagement. And I'm going to break all those down as we go through it. Let's look at personal engagement. Partnership with Jesus in my own transformation. When Jesus shows up, and it's for my benefit. Those times that, that Jesus is calling for me to partner with him so that I am transformed from the inside out, so that I am made to look more like him. We read some passages with some promises like 2 Corinthians 5.21 where it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. God's desire to transform each of us into his righteousness. Think about that for a second. Jesus, the perfect one, literally became sin on the cross took all of our sin on himself and became sin so that we could become his righteousness. That is transformation. Oftentimes, and I've said this before, when I talk about transformation, I'm not talking like pretty good, even better. I'm talking we were sinful, lost, stuck in a pit, couldn't help ourselves. And he took that so that we could become his righteousness, death to life. And this isn't just, this happened at salvation when I prayed that prayer at camp one time. This is a continual process that God is calling us into personally that we could lay down sin and pick up His righteousness. This is miraculous. Philippians 2.13 says this when it comes to engaging with Him. For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill His good purpose. God is the one who is moving in your heart, giving you both the will, the desire to do what's right, and the ability. He is working transformation in his people 
when we engage with him personally. Oftentimes we, we think of transformation as this thing that like God does in me and I'm almost just this bystander getting struck by lightning. But it's this partnership with us as we engage with him, transformation is born out of that. It's not a one-sided thing where we just get to sit idly by and he does the work. He does the transformation. Please hear that. But it's as we come and engage with him. Is this making sense? Okay. One of the things that I think is necessary if we're truly going to engage with the presence of God on a personal level, these are my own words. I was trying to figure out the best way to say this. And what I came up with was this. Rash obedience. When someone acts rashly, they act before they've thought it all through, right? They, they jump into something, they agree to something before they truly understand all the costs involved, right? We see this all the time with somebody financially, and we go, whoa, 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 you're acting so rashly. We say, slow down, think it through, right? Before you make that step, count all the costs, think it all through. What I think it takes to truly engage with God and to be transformed personally is rash obedience. Obedience before we've thought it all through. Obedience before we've sat down and really weighed it out and God, does God really know what he's talking about? It's prayers that look like this. Lord, I'm in whatever you wanted me to do. Now, what do you want me to do? Before you even call me, my answer is yes. Now, where are we going? What are we doing? This kind of rash obedience will lead to transformation. But far too often we approach it like we do a financial situation where we go, okay, God, first you tell me what it is you want me to do. I'm going to take a few days and weigh the whole thing out, and then I'll come back and tell you whether I'm in or not. That is not kingdom life. We, grew up in a, we live in a democracy in a kingdom where there is a king. You don't get to tell the king, hang on a sec, I'm going to weigh this thing out and see if I want to obey what you're saying. Treason. You're in prison at best. But that's how we treat the king of kings. Instead of coming to a place that goes, Lord, I believe truly that you have my own good and the good of others in mind. So whatever you call me to, my answer is yes. Then he tells us, and most of the time there's a deep swallow, and we go, okay, I'm going to need your help with this. And he's in it with us. But we don't have, the option wasn't left open to us to weigh it out. Am I going to obey? Maybe we'll see. Lord, I'm in. What is it you're calling me to? This is the kind of truly kind of crazy obedience that will lead to transformation. Where he's in charge no matter what. You show up and I'm in, God. Now, I don't say that because that's, I've got it all figured out and that's what I do every time. But that's my goal. I want to be the man that he can depend on. Where when he shows up, he already knows my answer. Just give me some direction, Lord. Where are we going? That's my desire in following him. That's my desire for myself, for us, for my own sons and my daughter, that they would grow up being the kind of people that say, when you move, where you move, I'm in. Whatever you want me to do. But it starts with me engaging personally. Then there's corporate engagement. Partnership with Jesus in the church's transformation. Partnering with Jesus for the benefit of other believers. To see others transformed. 
This is where we come to passages like, I don't have it up here because it's three chapters long, 1 Corinthians 11 through 14. It is this long piece that Paul gives on talking about, look, when you guys are coming together, they were coming together selfishly. They were coming together to get what they wanted, to build themselves up to whatever. And Paul paints this beautiful picture, starting with communion, going into spiritual gifts, going into love, going into how some of even their services would play out. And at every point, he's saying, look, this is for the good of others. God is calling you into this. God has gifted you this way. God has given you this to spend on others' behalf, to see the church built up, to see the church transformed. In, in the scriptures, the church is called his body and his bride. As a husband, what am I called to do with my wife? Single word, careful. Love. Well done. I'm called to love my bride, to treat her even better than I treat myself. And now Jesus says, my church is my bride. Build up my bride. I have given you gifts. I have given you power through your Holy Spirit or through his Holy Spirit. He makes his presence known to us when we come together. And he says, and when I do that, engage Maybe not, because so often we look at it and we go, um, that would make me uncomfortable. I don't know if I'd know what to say. I wouldn't like how that would feel. And he goes, it's not about you. It's about the people I've placed around you. Engage with me to build up the bride. Paul talks about it like this over in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but used uh, or to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He says, when you come together as the church, you should have that same attitude. Lord, you say where two or three are gathered in your name, you'll be there. When you show up, I don't care what it costs me. I don't care how it makes me feel. I want to engage with you to build up my brothers and sisters because their lives are even more valuable to me than my own. What you're doing in their life is just as valuable as what you're doing in my life. We have to engage with him corporately. I said this a couple weeks ago. None of us can hear the full counsel of God all by ourselves. He has chosen to speak to us even through each other. You alone on an island with your Bible... God is good, and he'll meet with you, but you will never experience the fullness of Christ apart from the body coming together, ministering together, engaging with God's presence together. That's why he gave spiritual gifts. That's, there's things that, that God is only going to speak to you through other brothers and sisters. I, here's the thing. I don't know why. It seems pretty inefficient, God. Why would you choose to do that? Because they're screwed up, and I'm screwed up. And he said, because it's about partnership. I want you to depend on each other like you depend on me. 
This is hard. We have to engage with him corporately, and it will make us uncomfortable. We are going to have to then work some things out and go, hey, I feel like maybe God is saying this. Have you thought about that? And we're going to need to sit down and pray together and go, Lord, we need you to bring clarity. Is that really what you're saying? And we have to partner together to partner with him. But this is how he's designed it, that we would need one another, that we would grow together and experience him in a more full way than we ever could apart from that. Finally, is missional engagement. Partnership with Jesus in the world's transformation. From personal to corporate in the church to far beyond. Remember before I said, Jesus doesn't make his presence known for no reason. He is on mission. I have to become the man he's calling me to be personally. I need you to help me grow and you need me to help you grow to become the church that God is calling us to be. Because he is on mission to transform the world. And he's calling us to partner with him in it. Uh, There's a a great book called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. Uh, And in that book, he talks about a way that we often approach God when it comes to mission. When it comes to advancing the kingdom, making him known. What we tend to do looks something like this. Hey God, I'm going over here. And if you want to join me, you are more than welcome. It would actually be great. This is how we approach things. God, I'm going in here, and I need you to do this and this and this for me. That'll make the plan come together. And Blackaby says, we've missed it when that's the way we approach it. The way that we need to approach it is this. Hey, God, I believe that you're moving everywhere at all times. Would you show me today where you're moving and how I could partner with you? Not, hey, Lord, come over here and bless me. But, hey, Lord, where are you moving? I want to come there and partner with you. That takes living with expectation, walking into a work situation, a family situation, a home situation, and having spiritual eyes that go, where is the Lord moving? Where is he opening a door, and how can I go through it? Oftentimes we miss those because we're too busy going, this is what I'm about, and how the heck, why isn't the Lord showing up and doing something? And he's going, I'm working over here, I'm I'm inviting you in, you're just not even looking for it. Or the door opens and we go, that's too scary. I I don't want to engage. And we take a step back. God is calling us to be on mission with him, not invite him into our mission. God, where are you working and moving today? And how can I partner with you? We will see our world transformed if this becomes the lens that we view our lives through. God, you, you were working in that person's life long before I ever knew who they were. And now I'm just entering into what you're already doing. Show me how. Show me the open door. Give me the strength to partner with you, not to have you bless what I'm doing. That is a backwards way of viewing missional engagement. Does that make sense? Mike Breen uh, wrote a book called Creating uh, a Culture of Discipleship. And so in, in looking at discipleship, he's talking about how we need to teach people to expect God's presence, to engage in God's presence. And he says this quote, You can invite God into any part of your day. Truth is, he's already there, and it's rude to ignore him. This is how many of us approach our day, as we walk through it doing our own thing, and we go, Oh, hey God, I could use some of you over here. You're welcome in. He says that's one option, but the truth is, God is already there and already moving 
And we've just been ignoring him the rest of the time. Instead of having those eyes that go, God, in every situation, where are you moving? Where are you working? Be honest with me. Does this sound tiring? If, if it doesn't, you don't understand what I'm saying. It, it is tiring to go through life going, constantly being vigilant. Lord, where are you moving? What are you doing? At home, at work, it is tiring. What it takes then is strength that comes from the Lord back to personal engagement. If I'm not meeting with him regularly, if he's not transforming my heart and my mind through his word, through prayer, through times that we have together, I don't have the tools and the strength to engage with him missionally. They're all dependent on each other. But we can't set down any one of them. Mission flows out of intimacy, but if you don't partner with him in mission, you will miss the intimacy. It's the cyclical kind of thing. We are called to, to expect his presence in every moment of our lives not necessarily because he's going to show up every single second, but because we want to be the kind of people that are ready when he does to engage with him. And this takes engagement on a personal level, on a corporate level, and on a missional level. Every time we leave these doors, Lord, where are you moving? Where are you working? So let's do like we did last week. Uh, we said one of the ways that we can expect God is corporately. That none of us can really know everything God has for us just on our own. We need each other. And so now let's actually practice that. I would love to hear from you guys. We scooted together, so you should be able to, uh, to shout to each other and to hear what people are saying. Uh, I'll try to repeat some things back in, in case it's too far and you miss it. Let's look at the personal engagement. What does personal engagement look like in your life? What are some, some tools that you've picked up that have helped, some, some tips and tricks you've learned along the way? Or maybe, you know, hey, uh, here was a time in my life when I just missed it uh, and what I've learned from it. Let's learn from each other. What does personal engagement look like? How do we engage with the Lord on a personal level?